Now, there is one rule I insist be obeyed while you are in my house. No growing up. Stop this very instant. And that includes you, Mr. Chairman of the Board Banning. <laughs> Sorry, too late, Grant. And what, what, what is so terribly important about your terribly important business? Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is, wait, you haven't seen? It's a show where we talk about movies and specifically we talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host Travis, aka TV's Travis. This is episode number 216 and our movie this week is 1991's Hook and here to talk to me about it, so you hadn't seen it before, from the So Wizard Podcast, it's Joey. How you doing? What's going on everybody? It's great to be here. Uh, It was a little tough picking another movie I hadn't seen, but uh, I pulled one out of the hat and here we are. All right, so you had not seen this movie before. Did you just like, did it, did it pass you by when you were growing up? Because you seem about the same age as me, but right about the right time, I feel. Uh, I think, I don't know how old you are, but <laughs> I'm probably older than you. And I, I, I just, I never saw it. You know, it came out in 1991. You know, I was a freshman in high school. And I just think okay. it just was one of those things. I just didn't see it. it, it I was not going really to the movies with my parents anymore. I was more going with my friends and we weren't going to go see this uh, based on sure. the trailers and, and everything about it. It looks like a kid's movie, um, which nowadays I wouldn't care. I'd go see a cool kid's movie. It doesn't really matter. But when you're like 14, 15, you're like, I'm not going to see some kid's movie. That's for babies. Right. So we more than likely just skipped it for that reason. And I've heard so many people love this movie. I know the guy that plays Rufio is at cons all the time and people are losing their absolute minds over it. And I've never seen it. And it's tough because I see everything. So like when it's on a few years ago, you know, we did Jaws. That was easy because everybody always was up my butt about having never seen Jaws. Whereas with this one, I just, you know, I had to pick something. I'm like, man, I have never seen Hook. And it just kind of was like, that's the one. That's the one. I got to sit down and watch this. I've never seen it. So. Sure, sure. So I had, uh, I, I'm a couple years younger than you. I would have been right around 10, 11 when this came out. So um, not too much younger, but I was kind of right in the wheelhouse of this yeah. movie um, when it came out. I don't remember seeing it in the theater. I may have, but I know I saw it at home. I watched it a lot at home. I was a big, at, even at this point, I was a big Robin Williams fan. Um, and, uh, you know, then this, it was, there was this and Fern Gully and Aladdin kind of all in a row, right in, right in that age where I just, I was glomming on to everything yep. sort of crazy comedy too. Um, and I really liked his energy and, you know, the Peter Pan story, I think everybody has, has at least heard of that story, even if you're not super familiar with it, um, you know, the ins and outs, you sort of know the boy who never grew up and Captain Hook and all of that. So like, it was right in my wheelhouse and, um, the funny thing is this movie was critically panned. The critics yeah. didn't like it. Um, made a, it made a good amount of money, but um, it was also a very expensive movie at the time. What I'm curious about, though, is now that you've seen it uh, almost 40 years after it came out, which is also just a crazy thing to think about. <laughs> um, you know, this movie's what, 30, I guess, 32 years, two years old now? Sure, yeah. So a yep. little, little over 30 years after it came out. You're making out. me feel real old. <laughs> Hey, I'm not, I told you, I'm not that far behind you. All right, that's um, good, that's good. I mean, we're, with this show, we're totally hip and cool. We're down with the youth, so, you know. Exactly. Hey, we great. know what the kids are doing these we're on days. on the cutting edge. TikToks yeah. and, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, now that you've watched it, what did you think of it as a movie? Uh, I didn't like it at all. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, it reminded me of, it kind of gave me an existential crisis, I think, actually, because it made me think of, Man, all those times I grab the kids and I'm like, we got to watch this. We got to watch this movie. Uh, let's watch uh, Last Starfighter. Let's watch The Last Dragon. Let's watch this. Let's watch that. All these movies I loved as a kid. And I'm like, you got to watch this. It's so awesome. And I'm like, man, is this how they feel when somebody makes them watch <laughs> something that they loved as a kid? And they're just like, man, this movie kind of sucks. I don't know what to say. Uh, it, it, I just I just was not a fan at all. Yeah. So are you a Peter? Are you much of a fan of like the story of Peter Pan or any of those kind of adaptations of that? Does that I mean, anything for you? Like anybody, we've all seen the animated movie when we were kids, and mm-hmm. 
I mean, that's that's about as far as it gets. I don't I don't sit around uh, dressing up like Peter Pan and jumping out <laughs> windows or anything like that. Um, and I'm not that's like not a, a regular Disney... like Thursday night for you. <laughs> no, and, and I'm not a, a Disney adult, that type of thing either. Like I like mm-hmm. Disney, uh, but I've never I was never even as a kid. I was never a big like Disney movie, Disney animated kind of guy. I always sure. I'm old, so I veered towards more like cartoons like G.I. Joe, Transformers, Thundercats. Like that was my thing, not Disney stuff. So uh, I was never a big enough. Disney guy. I know the stories and I've seen the movies. I've probably seen most of them in the theater when I was a kid, but uh, I just wasn't a big Disney guy. So, I mean, I know okay. I know the gist of it, you know. Right. Um, and this was a uh, TriStar picture. So the story Tri-Star of this getting made. pictures. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a name that you don't hear very much anymore. Um, you see that horse interesting... come running around the corner and you're just like, yep. ah, here we go. <laughs> it's it's an interesting story of how this got started because Spielberg initially wanted to do a Peter Pan movie in like the early 80s, um, kind of off the heels of um, Temple of Doom, in part because he had done E.T. and he had done Close Encounters and Jaws and there was... Uh, and then when he did something uh, off of Temple of Doom, that one of the criticisms of that was it had lost some of that kind of childlike wonderment to it, to some of his work. And Which is weird to me sort because of... I remember watching Temple of Doom as a kid and I thought it was awesome. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I, I guess there was backlash, which is weird to think of backlash in like the early 80s, which would have been like newspaper articles three weeks after yeah. the movie came out. But right. <laughs> like, I always remember as a kid, I thought it was awesome. So I never understood when people are like, oh, this is terrible. Uh, this isn't isn't a good movie for kids. I'm like, well, this movie rules. Sure. I mean, in, in some ways, if you showed this to somebody and told and told them that the critics panned it, that it was like a below 30 percent, I think, aggregate Rotten Tomatoes in terms of like positive and negative. I don't know that somebody would necessarily believe that because there's nothing I. I I wouldn't call anything in this like, oh, this is a terrible movie. Nobody's going to like it. You not liking is completely different. That's a, you know, it just didn't connect with you kind of thing. But like, it feels oh, right, like a right, pretty right, well-made right. movie. Yeah, it's right? not, I don't dislike it because it's bad. This isn't like, mm-hmm. I'm saying this is like the room or like something like that. It's just, it didn't work <laughs> for me. Like that completely sure, sure, sure. different level of dislike. <laughs> but it was, it was one of those things. Spielberg really connected with Peter Pan as a kid. Uh, it was a story that his mom would read to him when he was a young kid. And so he wanted to make this movie and then he got kind of caught up. He, then he had his first son um, and sort of gave up on that idea for a little while. And he went away from it and he started working on, that's when he started doing things like the color purple and some of his um, mid eighties things. And meanwhile, as that was going on, uh, a screenwriter started writing his own uh, sequel to Peter Pan. And through a confluence of things it ended up that, uh, that sequel became Hook, The Return of the Captain. And they started moving forward with that. And it's funny you mentioned The Last Starfighter because Nick Castle, the director of The Last Starfighter, was directing this movie. Um, It had gotten to the point where they were doing that and he ended up... The story goes that uh, the studio wanted Spielberg. Spielberg wanted nothing to do, apparently, with like removing a director from a project. But the producer was like, well, it's too late. We already did it. He was having creative differences with uh, Robin Williams and Dustin Hoffman. So you're in. So we almost had Nick Castle directing this movie, which is interesting to me. I'm kind of kind of curious what Mike Myers, Michael Myers would have done directing this. Um, but uh, they bring in Steven Spielberg. This also led to his fallout of his friendship with Michael Jackson. Hmm. Um, because apparently the rumors were that Michael Jackson was going to play Peter Pan. Uh, for a long time in the Spielberg movie. Uh, I don't know that there was any real like truth to that, but that was, those were rumors that were going around. This is the eighties. So this is pre-internet. Uh, so rumors can spread in a very different way back then, right? Because you have even less to substantiate a rumor in the eighties. It's just, could you imagine this movie? Party, could you imagine this oh, movie with Michael Jackson in the main role? <laughs> no, I really can't. actually, might be a classic for a different reason at that point. (laughs) (laughs) Very much so. Because I think now I have a very fond memory of this in part. There's a lot of nostalgia involved in that. And I will Mm -hmm. freely admit to that. But for me watching it this time around, um, because I haven't watched it in a few years. And so the nostalgia was there. 
But also for me, it was the performances of Robin Williams and Dustin Hoffman that for me made this work because Robin Williams is a perfect casting to play a grown up Peter Pan because he has the energy of a child and he, but he has the dramatic chops to play something, you know, to play an older adult as well. But he also, not only does he have the energy to be a kid, like Jim Carrey has the energy to be a kid, right? There's a lot of actors that can have that energy, but there's something in Robin Williams eyes that looks very innocent when he wants to. And that, there's that scene where the, the kid, the little kid is like touching his face and uh, looking into his eyes and all that. And you, you like, I literally watched him go from being an adult to a kid staring back at this little boy in that scene. And that's what for me worked was just seeing because you, you get that childlike wonderment mm -hmm. in his face and it's just perfect. Like there's, there's so few people that can do what Robin Williams did in this role. Um, so that works. And then, you know, you juxtapose that with Dustin Hoffman going full method acting. And like, I think he stayed in his accent the whole time, which is hilarious. <laughs> I saw some behind the scenes stuff where he's like spouting out and he's still using that same voice and it just cracked me up. I'm like, ah, oh, man, that would hurt my throat after a while. Cause that was kind of gravelly. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I just feel like there's there's a lot of whimsy and wonder in this movie. And then the sets they built were nuts. Like the fact that it's all shot on sound stages um, and the ship that they built, because they built a Jolly Roger that was almost full size, like just crazy big. Um, so and then you see Dustin Hoffman, who, you know, he's the title character of this hook even though he's barely he's not in it nearly as much as peter the story's really about peter um but what i what i also liked about this and i remember thinking this even kind of in my younger days not so much when i first saw it because when i'm 10 11 12 i'm just like that's oh, a fun movie but as i got older i thought well that's kind of cool to think of I, i'm always fascinated with stories that expand on a known story and go give you some more and in this case it's well peter pan grew up and he became a dad himself. And what sort of happened there? Like, it's kind of neat to follow that thread and see what that was. Um, and seeing him become basically the complete opposite of who Peter Pan was when he became an adult. Peter Banning mm -hmm. is kind of, he's just, he's not a great dad. He's a workaholic. And he's not Peter Pan in any way, shape, or form. Right. Um, which is, to me, interesting in a story sense, as long as you can tell something that grabs your attention. And I think taking his kids and making that the tension of now he has to go and rescue his kids from Captain Hook, who in this world, this Captain Hook is not afraid to kill children. Either, yeah. Which that was one of the things I'd forgotten. I'd forgotten how rough this movie could get. Like this was mm -hmm. for, you know, it's PG 13 and it's very PG 13 because it goes places that you don't expect a movie about Peter Pan really to go. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, it was written ish mostly in the 80s. So in the 80s, yeah. you know, they didn't have issues putting kids for the most part in danger and stuff. I mean, I think as we got older, as movies went on and they got more kids movies became kiddie movies for the most part. Mm -hmm. You don't see you don't see anything like Monster Squad or Goonies or even this nowadays where uh, kids are in legitimate danger. Yeah, and movies that are not afraid to scare kids either, like the yep. the boo box that they put mm -hmm. that pirate in in the beginning. That's Yikes. terrifying. Yeah, they dropped that. They locked that pirate in a box and threw some scorpions in with them. Yeah. Which, by the way, so um, I don't know if that pirate looked at all familiar to you or not, but there were some good cameos in this movie, and that's one of the better ones. Who was that, that pirate? That pirate was played by Glenn Close. <laughs> and I I took note of. Uh, some of these uh, cameos because obviously Robin Williams, Dustin Hoffman, Glenn Close yep. is one of the pirates. Dave, uh, David Crosby is a pirate. Yes. Yes. I noticed that. Um, I noticed that. That was great. Did you notice Jimmy Buffett? Jimmy Buffett. I didn't notice Jimmy too. Buffett. And I read afterwards that George Lucas was in there somewhere too. So George Lucas and Carrie Fisher are yep. when, um, when Tinkerbell takes Peter, wraps him up in the sheet and like flies him to Neverland. And they go over that bridge and there's just fairy dust falling off of it. And then that couple that's standing on the bridge starts to float. That was George Lucas and Carrie Fisher. Oh, now you're going to make me go back and watch the movie again. <laughs> and you can't, I mean, you can't tell. Like it's blink yeah. and you miss it. But part of why Carrie Fisher was there was also because she did some uncredited rewrites on the script. 
she did of some, course, which yeah. she did a lot at that time. Yeah. Um, and she was doing, she was punching up the dialogue for Tinkerbell. Um, and, uh, played by Julia Roberts, who famously, uh, almost got fired from the movie because she, her, uh, her marriage to Kiefer Sutherland, her engagement got called off and she like disappeared to Ireland while they were filming. It's like, oh, good I Lord. I forgot she was ever even engaged to Kiefer Sutherland. Ugh, I right? hate Julia Roberts <laughs> so much. So that was like, uh, that was already, a, I was a check mark against the movie right there. The, she got a Razzie nomination for this movie. I don't think she was that bad, but yeah. No, not, I don't think she was Roberts that bad. Guy, but, yeah. And Julia Roberts is one of those actors that you either love or hate. Like, I don't know yeah. anybody that's sort of lukewarm on her. They either think she's amazing or like you just can't stand her. I'm so. I don't, <clears throat> I used to not like Julia Roberts at all. And I watched Pretty Woman for the first time uh, sometime in the last year. It's They all blur together anymore. <laughs> I was really surprised with how much I liked her in that movie. And I have no reason to have liked her in that movie. So it was one of those where I'm like, I'm kind of coming around on her not being awful. She wasn't great in this movie, but yeah. I didn't think she was Razzie worthy at all definitely not razzy worthy i just have never been a julie roberts fan to me it, it's because when her movies were coming out i was like at a certain age where like my mom and my sister would rent them and then it mm -hmm. would be like damn like we whatever we we're gonna rent for movies like they they picked a movie that i'm not interested in and it always yeah. seemed to involve julia roberts so it's like oh pretty woman i don't watch that or sleeping with the enemy i'm all set you know so I just had a bad taste in my mouth from Julia Roberts. Sure. It's just carried oh. on for the rest of my life. I, I was the same way for a long time. I didn't care about yeah. Pretty Woman. I didn't care about any of the rom-coms. Yeah. Um, none of that was was to me interesting. Uh, but I will say Pretty Woman, a lot better than I thought it was. Like, <laughs> I, I, I enjoyed that. Way. Maybe I'm just getting to be uh, a softie and like everything now. I don't know. But I was just I was surprised at how much I enjoyed that. Um, I'm going to take your word for it. I'm not going to repeat with it. So. <laughs> fair. That's fair. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, those were some fun little cameos in there. I thought were, were great. The David Crosby one, I completely forgot he was in this whatsoever. And he's so noticeable. Right. He, he's right know, there. He's right up front at one point in one of the scenes. So, <laughs> yeah. And so I just, I love that. And of course, Bob Hoskins is Smee. Yeah. And he might be my favorite thing in this entire movie is Smee. There's something about, like, I, first of all, love Bob Hoskins, period. Like, just full stop. But he's playing... Smee, he's you can tell how much fun he is having playing mm -hmm. Smee. Like I love the scene where he's just stuffing treasure into his pants. Yep. And everyone comes in the room and he doesn't stop. And then you don't see him again for like 10 minutes in the movie. And the next time you see him come out, his like his clothes are bursting at the seams and he can barely move. <laughs> he's just taking all that treasure and heading out. I love that. Um and uh but his interactions with Dustin Hoffman were really uh, as Hook were really interesting too. Yeah, I think if there's anything that I would give the movie huge kudos to is is uh, Robin Williams, Dustin Hoffman, uh, Bob Hoskins. A lot of the the name actors in this seem to be giving 110 percent in a mm -hmm. kids movie. And you could tell it's one of those things. And in, in you because we watch a million movies, you can always tell like the levels of the skill of the actors sometimes is noticeable. And in this one, you could tell like the name actors in this are up here and they're up here. I don't know if it's because it was Spielberg. So he's going to pull the best out of them. And they're going to give him their best. Maybe if it was the other guy directing, they may have just phoned <laughs> it in because it's like, yeah, who's this guy who cares? But you know, you got a legend at that point. He's already a legend directing, right? They're going to, they're giving 110% and it's all on the screen, regardless of how I felt about everything else in the movie, you could see their performances are another level. So I, I liked all the name people in this movie, even, even um like, old Wendy, like all the, all the people that you recognize in this movie as people that have been in other stuff. They're all, they're all top tier in this. So. Okay. So one more cameo and then I got to talk about uh, Wendy. So another cameo was Phil Collins. Like Phil Collins, the singer. Yeah. He's the, <laughs> okay. he's the police detective that ah, comes to the house. Like I didn't notice that at all either. And that was originally a longer scene. They cut down for pacing. Um, mm -hmm. he had okay. more, just more dialogue and stuff like that. Um, but, and we'll get to the pacing in a little bit. Cause <laughs> I was going to say they cut something for pacing in this. Uh, I'm surprised. <laughs> but Wendy is played by Maggie Smith. Now Maggie yep. Smith, amazing 
actor for forever. I blame Hook for the reason why I have always thought of her as a like frail old woman. Because if you see her in this, how old do you think she was when they made this movie? Uh, she's playing a character that's 92. So she's probably like in her 80s. She is 56 years old what? when they made this movie. <laughs> but I can't like I I never outside of um she was in a movie that I love that hardly anybody's ever seen called Murder by Death. Mm-hmm. It's um it's a mid 70s murder mystery in the vein of Clue, the movie. It's a silly farcical one like that. And she's in that, she's much younger there. And she's I mean Maggie Maggie Smith was absolutely gorgeous. But I only think of her as that character or then from hook forward where I yes. just think of her as this old woman. Because I'm going to be the same way. I only think of her as like an elderly woman. Like she was born. She came out of her mom's um, <laughs> parts, lady parts, as like an 80-year-old woman. <laughs> and, and that's it's a, a hell of a birth, to, but, you know. <laughs> but it's a testament to the makeup that they gave yeah. her for this. To age her 40-something years. And it worked. And um, she looks she looks just like she does when she's actually old. So it was really Yeah, good. exactly. They <laughs> That's talk Looks about like a mirror in right the future. Off the set of uh, Downtown Abbey two or something, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. It, but uh, and I loved having her in that role because again, you're you're getting the story of like Peter's old. Peter's in his forties now. He's he's no longer the kid. She still remembers the Peter Pan character. She's never lost any of that memory. And, but you know, here's Wendy who got to go on these grand adventures and then slowly got older and older. But you find out that she just stayed this a wonderful, caring, nurturing person her entire life. And you, I will admit that, and again, this is probably just me getting older and being a far more emotional person. The scene where Peter is giving the speech at the dinner for her as they're dedicating the wing of that uh, hospital. Like that scene's meant to be emotional. And maybe it's just Spielberg is good at that. But I started yeah. to choke up when like everybody started standing up and you realize they were all orphans that this woman helped. Yep. And I was just like, oh, God, damn it, Spielberg. Damn you. You're, you're so good at getting emotion out of me. Plus, I did see Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 yesterday. So I'm already a little raw nerved <laughs> from that. You're frayed. Um, you're very frayed. I am. I am. <laughs> it's been rough. Um, but yeah, I. Uh, I loved the performances, like you said, from all the all the named actors. They were just great. The kids weren't terrible either. No. Which, when you have that many kids in a scene and they're playing Lost Boys, that had to that had to have been utter chaos to try and yeah. film. I can't imagine what that was like. But these kids were really good. Um, led by Dante Basco uh, as um, Rufio who, as you said, he goes to a lot of the conventions and all that. I was actually part of a film festival. The only two feature-length films in it were the one that we made, uh, my friends and I made in, uh, I guess it would have been our senior year of high school slash like right after we graduated and a movie that Dante Basco was in. Oh, wow. So that was kind of fun to be. Uh, we we were the only two entrants, and I think they ended up not giving a prize for feature-length because of that, but like – that was cool. I got to sit and watch another movie that he had done. Um, I like Rufio a lot. And in fact, this movie kind of going back to what we were talking about, where uh, movies from like the eighties and nineties, especially the eighties kids movies were willing to put kids in risk and take chances and scare kids. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I mentioned this, but way back when I did, um, uh, um, what's the Henson movie? Uh, Labyrinth. Labyrinth was one, but Dark Crystal. Dark Crystal. Man, I don't know why I couldn't think of that. Like Henson always thought that it wasn't a bad thing to scare kids, right? You know, to an to um, a to an extent, you know, to, as a parent, to a point. You know, yes. Um, yes. You know, I always was trying to find when my kids were younger. I was always would try to find those type of movies, TV shows, and stuff that would challenge them a little bit. I didn't want to scar mm-hmm. them for life, uh, but <laughs> you know, you want to challenge yeah. them a little bit. Not everything needs to be Trolls World Tour, so you know, exactly. But like. You know. Henson was good at that. Don Bluth, I think, really towed yep. that line with stuff like Secret of Nim and sometimes and it American went over Tale. it. I think, uh, you know, Man, yeah. uh, sure. What, was it Land Before Time where their mom dies or something? Yeah, <laughs> Land Before Time's a little. I'm gonna go jump off a kids. bridge now. Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but there was there was something about that that you're right. It's sort of 
we got away from that for quite a while where it, it wasn't uh, nobody was taking those risks. Hook does that. And Rufio is the character. He's the one lo- lost boy that we, we not only see, like we hear Hook talk about he's killed so many lost boys and he's talking yep. about killing Peter Pan, but we literally see him stab Rufio in the chest. And I forgot, like, that's rough. That That's yeah. not easy. And I remember as a kid, that was not an easy scene to watch. Um, and because it happened so quickly, you know, he's got the upper hand. Um, I have a sound clip of him because I, I use the line all the time where he's got Hook's sword down and he says, looky, looky, I got Hooky. And before you can even, like, cheer for that line, he's getting stabbed in the chest and Rufio's dead. And I was just, like, I, I'm remembering that as I'm watching it this time. Like, oh, man, that was was a little traumatizing when I was a kid. <laughs> well, it's nice to get a little bit of danger in there too. So you're not a hundred percent sure if everyone's going to make it out at that point. So I mean, sure. obviously, you know, it's a family kids movie. Um, it was not, Captain Hook isn't going to win by wholesale slaughtering Peter Pan and his family, but you know, we at least get a, a an into danger in there. So. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you know, it is like, it's good uh, from, from a purely storytelling standpoint too. It's yep. good to have those stakes going on. Um, I, also I was surprised they didn't f- bring him back oh. either. So I expected, you know, maybe by the end of the movie, some magic will come and bring him back or something. But nope, he's, yeah, he's dead. No, he's gone. They just did that. They do Peter anything leaves. with his body either. Like every the whole rest of the movie kept going on is his body no, they sort of, on the ship. They they sort of had that moment and then yeah. kind of just forgot about him. Like, yeah, yeah. Rufio's fine. He's, we'll, he's still laying we'll on the ground that. over there to this day. Uh, th- Thudbutt will take care of it. He's the yeah. leader. Yeah. Which that was a cool scene. And I learned uh, just recently that that was um, that Robin Williams and Steven Spielberg knew what the outcome was going to be of that whole scene where he chooses. But none of the kids were told ahead of time. So all their reactions are really genuine. And I thought that was kind of that's a cool way to do that scene to get what you want out of your actors is just let that be a natural thing. So the kids are like, who is it going to be? We don't know. Right. And And there's just the skill of Spielberg on display again. So, yeah. And he picks Thudbutt, which is the best name I think yep. ever. <laughs> Although <laughs> another one was uh, one of the Lost Boys is credited as Don't Ask. And that story was that the kid kept asking Spielberg well, what his character's name was supposed to be until yep. finally he said, look, just don't ask. And that stuck. And so he became that. <laughs> I hope uh, Captain Hook didn't get his brother don't tell, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and of course, uh, like anything with a group of kids, there has to be uh, the tropey twins that do yep. everything in synchronization, um, which I'm fine with. There's a lot of tropes in this movie. Um, and for whatever reason, they don't bother me that much, even though I, well, you're, I, I'm you're, much you're more notable. Yeah, you're doing a sequel to Peter Pan. I mean, it's you're pulling yeah. from something that's been bastardized into a million other movies at this point. <laughs> like you're, there's going to be tropes, unfortunately. Yeah, that that's a very good point. Um, all right, so pacing. <laughs> I'm guessing that one of the things you didn't like about this movie is the fact that it's two hours and 21 minutes long. It it felt like a chore to watch this movie. Um, it was tough. It was tough. It. Oh man, it's like 20 something minutes before they get into even anything Peter Pan related. Um, there's and there's a lot of exposition too, like. Mm-hmm. later on in the movie i can't remember the exact sequence but something happens and then peter goes back and tells the story of peter pan meeting wendy there for the first time and i'm like oh my god another flashback story and then there's just there's so much to cut in here and it i always it always reminds me of uh mall rats when kevin smith said you know they made him <laughs> cut a bunch of stuff in mall rats at the beginning because they said if you have a movie about mall rats you better get them in the fucking mall <laughs> And the uh, same thing, same thing here. It's like, it's a movie about Peter Pan and it takes almost a half an hour before anything even related to that shows up uh, other than subtly. So man, mm-hmm. I, you know, I appreciate them establishing the stuff, but I think it could have been done a lot tighter and a lot quicker. I don't think we needed all of that stuff to see that he's a bad parent or that, you know, an absent parent or blah, blah, blah. like, like an extended baseball game sequence. Like you could have done that in a few shots. Who the hell am I to tell Steven Spielberg how to make a movie? God, God. But you know, it just felt like almost like 
Spielberg wanted to do all this stuff is that I'm making a two and a half hour Peter Pan movie and no one was going to be like, yeah, you know, maybe we should cut about like 20 minutes out of this here or there. But yeah, it, it just by the, it took, like I said, it took me two days to watch this. Uh, I got about an hour and a half into it. And then I did the last hour today because it was just like, man, it was dragging at points. It was definitely dragging. I can't imagine having watched this as a kid um, and being riveted for two and a half hours by it. So it is. So it's interesting. The The original cut of the movie was three hours long. He cut it down to 220. No. Um, <laughs> so it it was originally conceived to be a musical. And it was going to be uh, a musical and sort of, uh, you know, in the vein of like a Dr. Doolittle, like these really long, drawn out musicals. Um, and Spielberg has actually, I, I saw an interview with him where he said, you know, Look, I was originally going to do that, and I chickened out, and I didn't do the musical. And he's like, I probably should have. I should have gone stuck to that. Maybe cut it, maybe not do the three-hour musical, but cut it down and do the musical. Because I think if you do that, it gets rid of some of those exposition scenes that you're talking yep. about and can tighten up the movie a little bit. Um, But I think also, too, this was in an era of kind of blank check movies, movie making, yep. where studios were sort of giving a director a script and being like, here you go. Just just go make it, and we'll figure out what it costs later. So a lot like and, Netflix is today, basically. <laughs> yeah, in a, in yeah. a way, and and I think that if I have a knock on the movie, it is that it is two twenty, and while I think the pacing is okay, I am an outlier in that I don't mind a long movie, but the pacing, I can also see where, especially that opening again. 20 minutes before you're really getting you can you can trim some of that up we don't need to see peter in his office yep with his office uh you know office mates as he's leaving from the meeting that he wasn't going to do like we don't need that at all you get the silly you know uh cell phone standoff that they did right um and like because it's pointless there's two minutes of screen time you can cut that and and move on you mentioned the baseball game we see the play and so we're hammered, hammered, hammered home. We don't need all of that in order yeah. to to know that uh, Peter Banning is not an attentive father. Um, we don't need him. Like, I like them getting to Wendy's house and meeting Toodle, you know, seeing Toodles and, and getting in. But then there's a, it, it just drags a little bit. Let's yep. let, you know, it's sort of, um, it's kind of like, like it's interesting stuff story-wise, but it doesn't serve moving the, the, plot along and so it's like peter jackson deciding i'm going to cut tom bombadil where he's yeah. like i don't want to cut tom bombadil from lord of the rings he's a great character he's very important but he stops our movie and doesn't get the ring moving and that's the story we're telling so we're going to cut him and then they you know do that kind of like those are the types of things that you need to think about doing yeah we didn't and, need to see him on the phone again in london like yeah. we've already established that he's putting his job before his family we don't need to see it again um, I know Spielberg had said that he loves the beginning of the movie, but he feels like he like lost it somewhere in the middle. And to me, it's like, oh, my God, like the beginning of the movie is not the good part of the movie. So <laughs> I'm scared. What, the, uh, what he, he didn't like you know? some of the middle bits, too, that got cut were like scenes with Jack and Maggie where the yep. um, and kind of fleshing their characters out more. There was more stuff with Jack and Hook where Hook is kind of turning him into his own son and turning him against Peter. And there's more with Maggie where she's more involved with some of the other pirates and kind of almost being like a Wendy to them, sort of a motherly figure as a, yep. as a young girl to them that again, I think those, those are interesting to think about in terms of if it's a book, if it's a, if it's a written piece, you want those scenes because that gives those characters depth, but in a movie they needed to be cut. Yeah. And it's a bummer because it, it kind of makes Maggie not really much of a character. Yeah. Um, but the story that's being told is about Peter. It's not it's not necessarily about his kids. His kids are characters, but they are they are more there to help serve Peter's story of like what he is going through in terms of remembering who he was and incorporating that into who he is now. Uh, instead of being, you know, the kid and then the adult, he's it, the the end of it is supposed to be him kind of meshing the two and being a, a full, fully realized Peter. 
and the kids are there to kind of serve that story. So I can see where cutting those was important. But yeah, um, I I agree that the beginning just drags a little. Like skip all the stuff pre-flight. Yep. Because everything that you did before they get to Wendy's house, they just rehash when they get inside her house. When yep. he yells at the kids again and he's upset about that. Like you can do all of that in dialogue and stuff from Wendy's house and cut that all that stuff ahead of the Pan Am flight and you're fine. And I think, you know, now you've now you're closer to a two hour movie. And I do wonder if the movie were an hour forty five to two hours kind of in that range, if it would have connected a little bit better, if that, cause it would have maybe grabbed you early. Yeah, no, that's, that's possible too. I mean, it's, it's a big invest time-wise investment. And then, you know, it takes so long to get going. And I think having the hindsight of all these years since it's come out, it's not going to shock me what it's about. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm yeah. not like sitting in the theater in the dark now blindsided like, oh, he's old and like this is such a crazy twist. I never saw before. I, this has been out in pop culture for so long. Like I already know like what's kind of going to happen. So yeah. the fact that it's kind of not great getting to that point, kind of just like, Jesus, can we get to the point, please? You know, that I think that hurts the movie in hindsight. I don't know how it would have been if I sat down in the theater and saw it. But as somebody now... 20 something years, 30 years later. Um, I know what the hook of the movie is. And uh, I, I don't need, I didn't need like 45 minutes of build up to that. So it was right. It was a and lot, that's the thing. Know? That's the thing. The inciting incident is, is hook kidnapping the kids. Right. And which was a great that. sequence, by the way, that was a great sequence. They come home and the, really good. the things stuck in the door. Like, that's great. I mean, you do that 15 minutes into the movie, we're talking about a whole nother movie. So. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm with you on that. Um, because there again is some of that, like Spielberg is good at making something that is family friendly, but gets dark. Yeah. Um, cause I mean, ET can be scary as hell in parts. Yeah. And that scene, they come home and there's, you know, there's that hook mark, that slash going all along the wall and up the stairs. Yeah. And you got the, the, what's her name? Lila is sitting there holding her head. She's been hit by something. She's screaming. Like it's an effective scene, but it took us too long to get there. Yeah. But and that's how throughout the whole movie is kind of like that. Like there's there's points where you're kind of like, I guess for me watching it, I'm kind of like falling off. Like, I, I, I don't know if I can make it through this thing. I'm going to have to tell Travis, like, <laughs> we're going to pick another movie. But um, and then a Spielbergism will pop up or like he'll pull just a, a great scene out of his butt somehow in the middle of the movie. And you're like, OK, now I'm back in and the score is swelling and you're like, OK, I see what they're going for here. And then it kind of just goes right back into bleh again. So. Yeah, and there's some great, uh, great stuff in the middle there where Peter, and I think also that middle bit where Peter is going from banning to pan, kind of, you could tighten that up a little bit. Yeah, very long, very long. Because <laughs> you get like him starting to figure it out, and the the whole dinner scene is great because he, you know, he starts that scene off as an adult, and by the end of it, he's using his imagination, and they have the big old food fight. And it makes sense that, you know, he would have a slight relapse where he gets scared because all of a sudden he's using a sword and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't quite grasp that. But then we need to get back. We need to get from that back to like embracing Peter Pan quicker than they did. Yeah. Um, Because the whole scene where he recounts, you're right. I, I didn't think about it, but you're right in that the whole scene where he goes into the little house that they built and recounts everything with Tinkerbell. It's very long. Yeah. And it is story that we kind of already know. So you can, you can do that, but just shorten it, right? Make it, make it move a little quicker. Um, okay. So some alternate casting and, and normally I take all this with a grain of salt. Who knows yep. if this is actual truth or not, but it's fun to think about some of these other casting ideas uh, for captain hook. Dustin Hoffman is great. Yeah. I really, like he just he embodies the character so well. In fact, there was a really great quote I saw with him where he was talking about rehearsing with Bob Hoskins for the the scenes with Hook and Smee and the two of them kind of realizing that the way to play these characters is like a couple of old queens <laughs> and that they were that they were almost like a gay couple that had just they they spent all their time together and you know do that like that's how they would 
approach doing the scenes. And you can kind of get a little bit of that. And I liked yeah. it. I think that, that that serves those characters really well. Um, but here's an interesting alternate casting. David Bowie, so rumored to have been uh, thought about for the role of Captain Hook. I don't know about that. It's I a, don't know about that one. Yeah, It's a very different Captain Hook at that point. Yeah. Yeah, I think it has a whole um, different feel than the movie with Dustin Hoffman has. It's a whole nother feel. I think uh, Dustin Hoffman was absolutely fantastic in this. So it, it's hard for me to even fathom someone that's different in this role, to be honest with you. As much as I said I didn't like the movie, I think he did a great job in that role. Man, that's a, I, I can't see David Bowie doing this kind of performance. It would be completely different. It would be a completely different it, spin on what happened. Yeah, well, my wonder is, is if at the time this was made, if Bowie had, because Bowie, I think when I saw him later on, like, especially when you see him as Nikola Tesla in um, yep. uh, The Prestige, it's great. And I think that he grew into uh, being able to act some of these parts. I wonder if his Captain Hook would have been too similar to Jareth because yeah. he's only a few years removed from that. Right. They would have been probably uh, a pretty similar uh, role. Um, and plus, I also think that um, I think that Dustin Hoffman brings a more of a menace to Hook, whereas I think there would be more whimsy with David Bowie. Yeah, I don't. I think I don't, that's I probably my favorite part. Threat. Yeah, that's my favorite part. I think of Hoffman's performance is that you could tell, like, like you said, he's kind of like queeny, but underneath it, just just under the surface, if you scratch a little bit. Um, this guy will also cut you. So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And yep. and he could flip that at any moment. He was, yep. you, you were just waiting, like he was just waiting for a reason to do that. So there was a real threat there followed through by him killing Rufio. Right. Too. And, uh, and Ace in our chat is even saying like Dustin Hoffman is hooked, terrified them as a child. And I, wow. Yeah. I agree with that. He's, he's scary. The teeth too. Yep. And which is why it's great at the end when he gets the wig flipped off his head and we've seen that it's a wig like we know yep. as an audience that it's a wig but then to see the ridiculous hair that he has underneath there and he's balding and how how unthreatening he looks at that point is a great juxtaposition because re really up until then he's just like this guy could you know haunt your nightmares um the other one was uh and this one's really interesting to me is uh kevin klein as peter hmm because Kevin Klein has that same ability to have the energy of a young person that I think yep. Robin Williams can bring. What I don't know is if he can have the childlike innocence yeah. that Robin Williams gives. And, and I think because there's so much like Robin Williams was such a uh, kind of just a, a, a child in his own right. Like he was very innocent in a lot of ways, you know, that you hear stories about like, how he would be very nervous and very like self-deprecating and very worried that his performance was good or not on sets. And meanwhile, I mean, this guy, he should have had more Oscars and like nominations and he had, he, I think, yeah. I feel like he, he deserved so much more. And so there was a little bit of that innocence of a, of a child in Robin Williams that I don't know if Kevin Klein has, but at the same time, like the, Kevin, there's something about Kevin Klein. I'm I, cause I think of, when I think of Kevin Klein, the first movie role, honestly, that comes to mind for me is Dave. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you ever saw that or not, where he yeah. plays the, and and so it, like I can see him playing these kind of dual roles really well, which is basically what Robin Williams is doing here. He's playing Peter Pan and Peter Banning, but like I wonder with somebody like a Kevin Klein, the scene where he's fully embraced Peter Pan, and he's talking to Tinkerbell, that's a that's totally one hundred percent like a little kid. Right. That's yeah. a 10 year old kid coming out of Robin Williams there where he's, you know, he's even doing like things where he's got his face in the clock and like he asks her a question and then ducks down a little bit. And like, yeah, there's like little think, things like that. Yeah. I think Kevin Klein could have done the role. Like, could he have done the role? Of course he could have done the role. Uh, but I just think everything that he brings to the table, Robin Williams brings to the table tenfold. So there's, there's mm -hmm. just no, there's just no way that to, to replace that. And exactly like what you're saying, stuff like that, which probably was improv on set. I don't oh, know yeah. if Kevin Klein could do that where Robin Williams could do that in his sleep. So I, it's just, it's just not a, it's not even worth entertaining, honestly, because there's no way there's, I don't think anybody could replace uh, Robin Williams in the role. So 
I will say though, uh, give me Kevin Klein as Captain Hook. I'm curious about yeah. that one because that, that would be, be interesting. Yeah, that would be an interesting poll. Yep. Plus, he's a little taller than Dustin Hoffman, so he could give yep. the physical imposition of it, right? Right. Which it's funny to think about. Like you had Hoffman and Bob Hoskins and Robin Williams. None of them are very tall, and like they're all just little short guys. And it's just funny to think of like there is no big imposing actor, and. <laughs> Like, luckily, none of the kids were very tall and went yeah. through growth spurts. I could imagine. I think it was a two month shoot. Could you imagine, like, Dante Basco goes through a growth spurt while they're filming it and suddenly he's taller? So he's already got the Mad Max triple yeah. mohawk hair going on. He already was pretty big looking in this. So you're almost kind of like, well, why didn't he just pick up Captain Hook and throw him over the overboard? He's a foot <laughs> taller than him, but, you know. He was close. They were almost yeah. the same size. Yeah. Um, apparently, Leo DiCaprio auditioned for this movie i don't know what role somebody said it Tinkerbell. was the role of jack mm. but jack he was i think he would have been too old for that at this mm. point interesting um the kid that played jack i liked and i always think he's been in more movies and then i look at his imdb credits and i realize no he acted for like a couple more years and then just sort of stopped acting in movies he worked until like can't hardly wait, and then he was just yeah done. right right. I saw that on uh, Letterbox. He was in Can't Hardly Wait, which is weird because I don't remember him in that. What was he in that? I don't remember either. I haven't seen that movie in probably yeah. I mean, years, it's been a long so. time since I've seen Can't Hardly Wait. Not exactly on my yearly rewatch list, but uh, yeah. I mean, I I didn't have a problem with the kid actors in this either. So you know, he did a good job. That's all mm -hmm. you can really ask for when it comes to kids in movies is like, don't be distracting and don't be annoying. So, and he didn't do either. So good job to him. You know? Yeah. And he's got the tough part of being like the kid that, you know, Maggie never really loses faith in her dad. Yeah. But Jack does. Jack is upset with his dad. And like, which is weird be because to... what did, what did he show her to, to give him, give her faith in him? Like nothing. He, he was yeah, just, we... just as absent for her as he was for her son. But I guess he just didn't miss her baseball. I mean, he went to her softball game somehow or something. I don't know, but yeah. Well, he was at her play. Right. He uh, went to the her beginning play. of it. Correct. I think yeah. some of that too, is that she's a little bit younger yeah. than Jack and Jack is like looking for that connection with his dad and not getting it. And yep. it's sort of that father son thing. And to be able to portray that without it getting hammy and over the top, it never, it never got beyond what you would expect out of kid. Like all of Jack's reactions feel like no a kid about that age yeah. is going to react like that. Um, and so that just goes back that. to the skill and some of the parts of this movie, the skill on display, whether it's from some of the actors or from Spielberg behind the camera can pull that out of kid actors like that, where somebody else may have just, this guy might've got real hammy real quick. So yeah yep that's very true uh and then you know talking about skills just those sets and costumes were unreal like they yeah. were so good yeah even knowing it's all done on sound stages it doesn't feel like a movie shot all on sound stages yeah it looked great i know uh, you know it's something that's missing in movies nowadays is those physical sets um sometimes they can look great they do stuff in the volume for disney stuff and whatnot mm -hmm. but you know sometimes you just miss that like physical, like it's there. Like the, even the actors are, are acting and interacting with things that are there. There's literally a pirate ship. <laughs> There's literally yeah. a lost boys cave cavern place that they're jumping around and moving on. So, um, yeah, kudos to set design, definitely. Yep the the half pipe that they had for the Lost Boys yeah. too with their skateboards I like that it was very that was nice very uh, very in your face nineties they skateboard yep. they play basketball while they're skateboarding yeah. yeah. <laughs> um oh and i mentioned uh i did i want to bring this up because i mentioned nick castle um who i always think of as michael myers because he was the yep. original uh the original but he was um signed on to direct and then they replaced him with spielberg they did give him a screen story credit and uh apparently a six-figure um kind of compensation oh so he's not upset at all movie. so yeah. like he's i'm sure he's fine he's fine yeah like, would he have liked to direct Hook? Maybe, but hey, he got, you know, a hundred grand and his name on it. So, yeah, and, and don't get it twisted. I love The Last Starfighter, but I think without Spielberg behind the camera, this is a much worse movie and it's probably a very pedestrian movie as well. So, yeah. I am with you on that because I'm yeah. the same way. I love The Last Starfighter, but yeah. I, I, Nick Castle is not the same director as Spielberg. <laughs> I think even Nick all. Castle would admit and that. I think he would I be think, fine. I think he would that, too. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um absolutely now i did capture some clips because there's some good 
like little one-liners and moments in this that I think are, are worth listening to. Um, I love the insults when they're doing their insults back and yep. forth over the the table. And I got a couple of Rufio's <laughs> and then one from Pete, uh, Peter that I really like. So here's a Rufio insult. Boil dripping, beef fart sniffing, bubble butt. Really enunciating butt. But, but that's right. Beef fart smelling. It's important that it's a beef fart because <clears throat> those are worse. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another Rufio. A week old maggot burger with everything on it and flies on the side. <laughs> those are this. Those are the insults of a ten-year-old. They're great. Yeah. Uh, but if you have Robin Williams, you're going to get. And I want to know how many takes they did of this. Yeah because you know he did it different every single time um but i have to this day i still can't quite do this quote you loot crude rude bag of pre-chewed food dude but that's <laughs> quick that's good um and then also i love this eat what there's nothing here gandhi ate more than this that is a robin <laughs> williams line right there that, that is 100 percent Every now and then in the movie, you can kind of see, all right, he ad-libbed that. Like, that wasn't in the script. That came out of his head. Like, <laughs> And I had forgotten that that line was from this movie. Because I will say that every once in a while when you have, like, a small amount of food. Or I have nothing yeah. to eat. Like, Gandhi had more food than this. And I completely forgot that it was from this movie. Um, let's see. Oh, the... this was just terrible. This This is from that scene in the office that just needed to get cut. But it's when he's getting into the the elevator. And remember, don't, don't let your arms get tired. When it all is, you know, he's gonna fly because apparently, yeah. you know, Peter Pan is afraid of flying. I was like, oh, God, just mm. stop with that. That was terrible. That was bad. Um, let's see, what was? Oh, I got a I got a few hook, um, because Dustin Hoffman was just great. Uh, this was a scene. Okay. I had forgotten about the scene and it is played for laughs, but it's a, uh, in today's sensibilities, this is a tougher scene. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> and it's, it's going to be looked at a lot different, but, uh, I still had to capture this. Don't try to stop me this time, Smee. Don't you dare try to stop me this time, Smee. Try to stop me. Smee, you better get up off your ass. Get over here, Smee. <laughs> That's a very different scene today and yeah. sort of just uh, the that's way that we look at. That's probably not even at... in the movie. That's not even in no. the movie today. So. No, not at all. Especially a movie that is largely marketed to a younger audience or a family yep. audience to have a scene where, look, we'll, we'll just quickly touch on this. Ch Captain Hook is so at the end of his rope in terms of like he, he feels there's no great adventures left, that death is the only adventure left for him, that he is telling Smee he's going to kill himself that I forgot that scene like at all and it's it's delivered brilliantly the timing yeah. on it and everything is great but I was just like ooh, ooh, 2023 that's a very different scene yeah that's, that's a little dark it's a little dark for your kids movie but yeah. <laughs> um I use good form and bad form all the time from this movie <laughs> like it's just it, that's that's one of those core memories that this movie put in my brain so it's just bad form I like that I just thought that was great, and now I have that as a as a sound. Hook was not uh, not bad with his insults either, because he had this uh, little gem. Not this pitiful spineless pasty bloated codfish I see before me. That's good. That is some. I don't. I don't know if that was ad libbed or if that was written, but I liked it a lot. Yep. Um, I like when he when they're watching the baseball game, which again, like. I get where they're going for in that scene in the middle of the movie with the, the baseball game on the ship, um, which long. is, but it does go on for a long time, but it did give us the great, this great line after, because teaching a bunch of, I, I teaching a bunch of pirates, the game of baseball from scratch. Yep. Is a concept is hilarious to me. The costuming they had to those uniforms were yep. phenomenal. And of course, their team was the Pirates. <laughs> of course, <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I absolutely loved that the guy goes to steal second, and the catcher just pulls out a pistol and shoots him. <laughs> yes. And it led to Captain Hook saying, "Very violent sport, isn't it? Baseball. <laughs> Very violent sport. It's just so good." Um, and I am always one to. Uh, oh, this here again is 
um, how Dustin Hoffman can be very threatening and very scary as Hook. Because this is really going to hurt. Like that's when he's getting ready to pierce the kid's ear with yep. his hook. Um, and then finally, I have to, anytime there's good, like forced or fake laughs in a movie, <laughs> I get them and hooks laugh. <laughs> I just liked that. That was, that was some Dustin Hoffman. Like, I'm going to have some fun with this. And he did. He had a, yeah. he had a great time playing that role. You can tell. And looking at behind the scenes footage, you could see a lot of people having a good fun time on it. It never seemed like it was a tough tough movie to work on mm-hmm. which i like seeing and i think that comes out in the final product it just yeah. i'm with you and that it drags in parts yeah i still love the movie but uh, again i've got that those nostalgic glasses on yeah i can tell um because i do think if i were to watch this today for the first time i would have a lot of the same kinds of complaints it's just the acting is great the look yeah. of it is fantastic the story is interesting but it drags in parts. Yeah. You need to it's, tighten that up. It, it's just the drag. It's just the length of the movie, and it needed to be tightened up a lot. I think that's really the biggest issue I have with it. I, and like we said, like there's masterclass performances going on in front and behind the camera. And I think sneakily, this is one of John Williams' best scores for a movie. Oh, so, so good. Um, and it does. People don't bring it up, and that's probably because he has so much stuff that he's done that's amazing that this one kind of gets glossed over, but just even listening to it while you're watching the movie, it's fantastic. So, I mean, again, another, another masterclass by somebody behind the camera in this movie, uh, it's sneakily one of his best works. Um, no doubt. You know? Top, top to bottom. Yes. I think what it doesn't have is it doesn't have that melody, right? That you remember. It doesn't have the theme from Raiders or Jurassic park, or right? There isn't that Close one encounters. There isn't that or one thing. Harry Potter, that one, song yeah. you're like okay that's what that's from but it, yep. it is good stuff <laughs> oh it's very good um so now i'm curious if you had the ability to green light a project for a similar style of movie we're gonna take a story maybe that people already know but we're gonna we're gonna do a sequel to it <laughs> in a way that that goes goes beyond what the original story was in this case we're saying okay you had peter and wendy and we're gonna we're gonna check out what it's like for what if Peter Pan grew up and got old, and what could what kind of story could you tell there? You don't have to go into any specifics. Does anything jump off the page? Is like I would be interested to know this kind of a what if scenario for anything. Yeah, if anything pops to pops to mind, oh, and if man. that's if that's too broad, um, maybe something that you liked as a kid. Yeah, uh, a story that that really drew you in and just be like, well, what if this happened? You know, what if uh, I don't know, um, you could you could look at like because one that I'm always interested in is sort of the stuff around uh, the main plot lines in Star Wars. Yeah. Right. Star Wars is such a vast, interesting world that we only get to see this little tiny slice of. And that's, I think, what I really liked about especially season one of The Mandalorian was that it wasn't involving the Skywalkers. It wasn't involving Jedi. It wasn't involving yep. Sith. It was very much kind of its own little slice of this thing over here. Um, you know, another one is, um, I'm trying to think of like, well, Indiana Jones stories in general, because they were very serialized in nature, like more of those kinds of things, like what happened, yep. you know, what was the the story? I mean, we get the reason for the scar that they yeah. they wrote in because Harrison Ford has the scar, but like stuff like that would be kind of neat to. That's where I think Young Indiana Jones Chronicles was such a cool series. Yeah, um, I loved that then, as a kid, and I liked that. Well, I don't was I a kid. I don't know. I was probably like a tween. I loved it as a tween. There we go. Um, yeah, man. I mean, there's just not even like Disney stuff or fairy tale stuff, but I mean, like I'd love to see a real time sequel to the Warriors. Um, Ooh, that would be good. like like it's now it's 2023 and the world is completely different. Like, how does all of that function in today's society? <laughs> like, that would be fantastic. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because that is very much a product of its time, too. Oh, yeah. No doubt. And where I grew up in um, the Northeast, we had, uh, when we first got cable when I was a kid. So we got two channels from New York City. And one of them was Channel 9 and one was Channel 11. They always played that movie on the weekends. That was their Saturday or Sunday afternoon movie all the time that and last dragon were the two movies that were on there all the time 
and I love that movie so much. And there isn't really anything for it. Like, you know, you, you brought up Star Wars, but there's a whole expanded universe for Star Wars of yeah. novels and comics and video games and, and TV shows. And there's nothing for that. There's one video game that replays the, the movie. So I think that would be really interesting. It could be horrible. But if you got the right team on it, if you got the right team on it, I'll go to my go to for everything. If you get the people that made the raid uh, redemption and put them all together and say, make a uh, updated the Warriors. And it doesn't even have to oh. make sense. You want to bring all those guys from Indonesia over to New York City and film it. It doesn't have to make sense. Just do it. You know? No, I want this now. I want the raid <laughs> redemption, but with themed gangs. Yes. Yeah. I This, this, this needs to happen. Um, it does. You brought up. Uh, Last Dragon, which is great. I want to know the story of uh, the characters in between uh, Shonuff and that actor's character from Briscoe County Jr. being like an ancestor of his and how yeah. he went from the Old West to New York and became the Shogun of Harlem. Like, there I, want to know, yeah. I, want, I want that. You know, that would be a fun one to do because, boy, Last Dragon. I got to watch that movie again. It's been too What long. a great movie. Yep. <laughs> Well, this was fun. I'm glad that uh, we got you back on the show because Anytime. Jaws, it seems to be Spielberg is our thing, I guess. Yeah. Um, it's tough for we're gonna... me to find movies I haven't seen. I got to be honest with you because I, I see everything. I see everything. I, so. I know how it goes. I know how it goes. Yep. But we found two good ones. I mean, we found two very different versions of filmmaking from a great filmmaker that you yep. somehow had managed to not see. So, yeah. Uh, in Jaws and now Hook. Um, obviously, you like Jaws a lot better than Hook. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, no, this has been super, super fun. I'm I'm enjoying this month so far. Uh, Adam last week was great. Um, and you're here. And then we got Marcellus coming back next week. Yeah. Um, and what has he got? He'll be doing. Uh, he'll be doing Hereditary. That's right. Which I also haven't seen. So that's going to oh, be. Okay. I have not uh, seen it either. So I'm, I'm interested in what you guys think before I watch it, I guess. But. Aubrey yeah. has a giant list of movies she's never seen because she's never seen anything, but she's <laughs> struggling. She's going to pick something. It'll be great. <laughs> we'll, we'll get that. But that's going to play out the rest of this month as we do. So Wizard May on Wait You Haven't Seen. And it's fun, too. We de- we shouldn't go two years between them, but it's fun bringing right. all four of you on because you're four very different voices yeah. in what you like and what you don't like, too, which makes for really fun conversations. So I'm really glad that we have managed to uh, to get this going and um and it's been so much fun having you here this week, Joey. And uh, Thank you. let people know about So Wizard. Oh, uh, well, we're a weekly movie review podcast and YouTube channel. So our podcast is there every single week reviewing new release genre movies. So your horror, sci-fi, action, superhero stuff. And then um, our YouTube channel is supplemental to that. So that's going to be your unboxings, trailer reactions, interviews, all sorts of stuff. And you can just follow us at SoWizardPodcast.com. Come check us out. Yeah, and I've been on there. We, uh, you got me to go see Candyman, and then right. talk to you about it, which was fun. I, I enjoyed that a lot more than I thought I would. <laughs> that was a good movie, actually. It was for the first eighty percent um, of it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's yeah. right. Um, it's been a while since I, I haven't watched it since then. Uh, but Meaning. I'm kind of curious to go back and see it again. Um, but yeah, you guys do some fun stuff over there, and so Wizard. So definitely. Uh, if you if you haven't already, by the end of this month, you're going to want to go subscribe to <laughs> <Hopefully>. So Wizard, <laughs> or not. I'll, I'll, I'll get them there. I'll get them there. <laughs> okay. Um, but Joey, thank you so much for being here. Now, like I said, next week Marcellus is coming in. We're going to watch Hereditary. Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I hear a lot about that movie. Um, there's one dissenting opinion. One of my co-hosts on Gore, um, who's in the chat right now, Faye, did not like Hereditary at all. I have a feeling based on my knowledge of her taste in movies that I'm probably going to like hereditary, Uh Um, (laughs) but we'll see. Uh, I hear a lot of from people whose opinions and thoughts on movies. I do respect. I've heard uh, many, many good things. And I know, I know the reasons why Faye didn't like it. And so it's not so much that it's a bad movie, just not her type of movie, which I understand. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. And, you know, last year I got him to watch uh, Event Horizon, or two years ago, Event Horizon for the first time, and that was fun to. I like that movie to. quite a bit, actually. <laughs> so I saw yeah. it twice in the movie theater. So. <laughs> Me and Excellent. like five well, other people because it didn't make any money. But like... No, it didn't. I was one of them. Yeah. I I actually yeah. saw Event Horizon like its opening weekend, but yep. I wasn't prepared for it. Yeah, it was it was mismarketed, so I didn't like it for like oh. a few years. 
after my initial viewing because I wasn't ready. I, yeah. I didn't know what that movie was. And then when I saw it a second time uh, on video a few years later, I was like, no, this is really good. It just, I had to get to that point. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're going to have some fun. And, uh, and then uh, we're inching ever closer to uh, what well, we got June and July um, that I'm working on scheduling before we get to uh, Nick Cage month in August. Cage oh, Blues wow. is coming back and I've got some, Good stuff already lined up. I'm going, I am not allowed to watch Renfield until August. And it's killing me. <laughs> I think you'll but like it. It's, I, I think so. Um, if you enjoy this show and you want to catch it live, you can come to twitch.tv slash TV's Travis Sunday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern time. I do, I do the show live there. It uh, comes out as a podcast on Wednesdays, anywhere you get your podcasts. Um, if you want episodes earlier, you can become a patron. For as little as a dollar an episode, you get uh, episodes right away. Um, there's also some exclusive Patreon uh, content as well as monthly movie catch-up nights. Um, uh, patrons of the $5 and up level get to hang out once a month, and we go through the back catalog of 215 episodes of the show that I've done and pick a movie that maybe somebody hasn't seen uh, and let them watch that and then uh, kind of go from there. So um, that's always fun. There's merch um, links and things at tvstravis.com. You can find links for the merch and the other shows that I do like those were the days or gore um, with Phelan. So uh, definitely check those out. And Joey, thank you for being here. This was uh, a ton of fun. We'll have to do this again in less than two years. Yes, let's definitely do this. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Until, yeah, until next time, remember to enjoy your movies and uh, let's be excellent to each other. This has been Wait, You Haven't Seen it. So happens, I am a lawyer. Kill the lawyer! Kill the lawyer! I'm not that kind of lawyer. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>